Okay, good morning. We're going to be looking this morning in um, Leviticus chapter 16. So we'll begin by reading uh, a couple sections of chapter 16. Again, not the whole thing, but we're going to look at uh, kind of the first, first part of the passage and then the end. So verses 1 through 10 and then 29 to 34. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat, but in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. And then jumping over to verse 29. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day uh, shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and, the con- and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting, and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statue forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Uh, this marks the, uh, the day of atonement. Uh, and if you've been with us as we've studied through and looked at the book of Leviticus, uh, you know we've been looking at a lot of offerings and a lot of sacrifices, and uh, you may be thinking, okay, enough with killing stuff, right? Um, and yet one more sacrifice, one more uh, means of atonement. Uh, and it, it may seem kind of a bit overwhelming or redundant for us, or we may just simply ask the question, like if the first ones didn't work, what makes you think this one would, right? Why all these extra steps? Well, chapter 16 really marks a, a 
the center of the book of Leviticus, not just because it's right kind of in the middle, but it really is the climax and, and, and center of, of the book in many ways. Uh, all the offerings that he's been talking about in the first 15 chapters really... Cli- okay, I can't... Um, in one form or another, ultimately picture and represent uh, what Jesus has done for us. And as we talked about, each of these offerings highlight in a different way um, different pieces of what Jesus did to make atonement for us. And sin affects us at many levels and in many ways. Uh, but, but all of these really get uh, captured in the most complete form, really, in the Day of Atonement. And if there was any image in the Old Testament that points to Jesus and, and explains or pictures what the cross was about, it was the Day of Atonement. Uh, and so it, it's center of the book of, of Leviticus because it really is the climax of all the sacrifices. And uh, the rest of the book, it kind of moves away from the sacrifices, which were the means for their cleansing, right? Uh, it's the Day of Atonement. And all these sacrifices were essentially atoning which meant that in some way they dealt with sin. They brought forgiveness, they covered, they uh, turned away God's wrath from sin. Uh, and so all that is done through these sacrifices. And the, 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 the pinnacle of it all is the Day of Atonement. After this, he's going to switch and he's going to talk a lot more about living the kind of life as holy people. Uh, not in order to obtain holiness, but now that you've been cleansed and washed by these sacrifices... How should you live as a different kind of people who reflect my holiness, right? Um, So so let's look at this uh, one more sacrifice and find out what's unique and distinctive about it and why after all these other sacrifices, this one really was required for making atonement. Um, uh, So when we look in the beginning of chapter 1, it helps answer the question of why, why this one on top of the you know, all the other ones, why uh, why we need more, even more, atonement. And uh, the context of it actually goes back several chapters. And he says in verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, uh, when they drew near before the Lord and died. Remember that? Nadab and Abihu, uh, on the day of their consecration, the day of their ordination, got really creative with worship. And they thought, oh, we get all this. You know, this is all about ceremony. And this is all about you know, going through these rituals. And we've got a little ritual of our own. We're going to bring some incense in before God. And God's going to be really impressed with our creative uh, worship, right? With our ceremony that we come up with all on our own. 
And so they put, they get some fire. It says a strange fire that we don't know where it came from, but not from the altar probably. And they put on some incense and they go into the holy place and perhaps even to the most holy of holies. And that's the last thing they ever did, right? As God zaps them and the fire of God goes out and consumes them, right? A couple fatal errors in what they did. One, they did something that was not commanded. Secondly, they came near to God without blood, Right without blood, uh, and in their own pride of their own their own special ceremony, and so right off the bat we see that this whole thing of worship, this whole thing of coming into God's presence, is extremely dangerous. Okay, so you want to be a priest now? Anybody want to go into that holy place? Yeah, sign me up. Like uh, that's why they wore the whole bells on their clothes and things, so when it stopped jingling, they knew they could drag him out because they died. It sounds like or yeah, out of robe. Uh, sounds like a great job, right? Well, um, being in the presence of a holy God was fraught with risk and danger. And so God tells them, and God's aware of that, and and he says to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place, inside the veil, before the mercy seat uh, that is on the ark, so he may not die. Um, Now, he doesn't say there, don't ever come, because the whole rest of the chapter actually explains when he is supposed to come. He doesn't mean don't ever come. But he says, don't come just whenever you feel like it. Okay, you're not, you don't have access to just come into God's presence at any time you feel. Okay, uh, there's many senses in which the tabernacle and the temple and the holy place and the most holy place and the courtyard are all set as boundaries to keep people from getting too close to God. Right? They had to keep their distance. And, of course, we know the reason for all this. We know that uh, sin separates. And the reason that in the book of Leviticus and even going back into Exodus, over and over and over again, there's all this talk of atonement. And we know the reason is that sin is a huge problem. It is the problem from the Garden of Eden until Jesus comes back in Revelation, right? Sin is a problem, and we can't escape it. And the great consequence or effect of sin is that it separates us from God. And of course, we all know that. It's, it's the heart of the gospel. You can't really know Jesus unless you understand how sin separates us from his presence. But I think sometimes the way we talk about this uh, shows that we don't really understand why sin separates us. And oftentimes, and I've, I've, I've done this myself as I've shared the gospel with people and talked about this barrier, this chasm. One of my favorite ways to share the gospel is to talk about, you know, God's kind of on one side of the Grand Canyon and we're on the other side, and there's this huge chasm between us caused by sin. And we can't bridge that gulf by our own righteousness. It's a great picture and a great image. Um, but oftentimes when we talk about how sin separates us or why sin separates, separate, sin separates us from God, we use words like, you know, God can't be in the presence of sin. That God's offended by sin and that, um, you know, if it gets too close to sin, it might contaminate his holiness, right? As if, as if sin is some kind of disease that's uh, inflicted humanity and God has to quarantine us away from him so he doesn't get the disease. Uh, but that's really, really terrible theology because nothing can afflict God, right? God, God's pretty much free from, from being impacted by anything. Right? Sin is not a threat to him. Right? Uh, but the opposite is true. Because we sin and because we are in sin, his holiness is a tremendous threat to us. Right? 
And that's why there's a gulp. The gulp is imposed by God not because he's worried that sin is going to somehow mess up his life, right? But he knows that uh, in his holy presence, uh, he will consume like a fire uh, sin that comes too close, right? Um, today it's a sunny day. I don't know if you're outside yesterday. This time of year, the sun's pretty intense. Uh, not not as hot as it can get in Thailand, but the sun's intense. Anybody experience that, right? And just here's, here's what's the cool thing about the sun. The sun is 93 million miles away, and yet we can feel its heat, right? We can feel its heat. It radiates this, this incredible heat. So imagine how hot it would be if you were a lot closer. Some of you are probably asking, how close can you get to the sun before it just vaporizes you? Well, actually, you can get a lot closer than you would think. Um, scientists tell us that uh, if you were to get in a spacecraft and wear the right kind of spacesuit, a spacesuit can protect you up to about 250 degrees Fahrenheit. So better than boiling water. So you could drop yourself into a boiling pot and you could survive. And it, it, with that, it says, it says you could get about 3 million miles from the sun. Okay, so not super close, but a lot closer than we are now. Uh, if you had the right kind of spaceship, uh, it, they, like the space shuttle, you know, they've got this coating on it that protects it up to about 4,700 degrees. Uh, in that kind of spaceship, you could get within about 1.3 million, 1. million miles, right? But beyond that, uh, it's bad news, right? If you get if you get much closer, what happens to you? Well, you you boil, you know, and then you just vaporize, poof, into like. Steam, everything, you, spacesuit, spaceship, everything, right? Uh, we can only get so close to the sun, and the sun will vaporize you. Well, that's really the picture of God's holiness, right? Uh, you get too close to God, and it's in some ways kind of a, a crude uh, illustration, but, but that's what the tabernacle and the temple was all about. If you get too close to the holiness of God, the glory and majesty of his holiness will consume you. Uh, Nadab and Abihu are living proof, or maybe not such living proof, actually, of what happens, right? And so, um, so, so we have to be careful, right? And so God warns Aaron, even as the high priest, don't come too close. Uh, but that, that created problems. Uh, and, and when you look at all the sacrifices, all these offerings that are made, the guilt offering, the sin offering, the burnt offerings, even the fellowship offerings, uh, there's a principle that emerges in the book of Leviticus. And the principle is essentially this. You can only get as close to God as the, the sacrifice you offer. Right? You're only as good as, the, as, as where the blood goes. Right? So, for example, the common people, the everyday people, when they would go worship... Uh, they would offer their, their sacrifice on the altar, and the blood would be sprinkled at the altar. And for them, that was their limit. Right? That was as close to God as they could get was the altar. They couldn't go any closer. That was their limit. Uh, for, the, for the priests, uh, Aaron's sons, who would help with all the, all the maintenance of the temple and, and, and the offerings, they actually, on their ordination day, offered a, an altar, a, a sacrifice on the altar, but they took the blood into the holy place. Okay, not into the very center of the temple, but into the outer courtroom, the kind of the lobby, before the curtain. And they sprinkled the blood before the curtain. And that was their access, right? That opened the way for them. That blood offering opened the way for them to have access 
as far as the curtain. But that was their limit. Right? That was as far as they could go. But then we see on the Day of Atonement, the high priest enters through the curtain. And he comes before the mercy seat. And mercy seat is, is, a, is an unfortunate translation because it's not... Uh, it has nothing to do with mercy, and it's not actually a seat. Right? It was the cover of the ark, and it was actually uh, two uh, angels, two cherubim with their wings spread out. And in this space above that was was considered the uh, the mercy seat, better translated really the atonement cover. And the word that's used here is the same root word that we get the word uh, day of atonement from. And it was literally the place of atoning. And God said... I will appear in that cloud above the angels. And that's the place you must come to make atonement. And so only the high priest could do that. But he would make he would do the same thing. He would offer a bull uh, at the altar and he would take the blood. But he would go all the way into the very heart of the tabernacle, into the most holy place before the atonement cover, and he would sprinkle the blood there. Right? And that was his access. He had access into the very presence of God. So there's this principle that what opens the way for you is, is this blood. Uh, and, and as far as you can take the blood, as far as you are allowed, that's how far you have access. Uh, so it's kind of like going to a baseball game uh, or a sports event in a big big stadium. And I've been where I had my tickets. You know, my, and my ticket would give you access to a certain uh, closeness to the game. Right, and if you had really good tickets, you could like sit right down on the field where like you could like see the players really up close and personal. Like I see you now, at least those of you in the front. Those of you in the back, I can't actually see you. My arms aren't that good. Right, but when we would go to the baseball game, we would never get those tickets, right? Because they cost too much. I would get these tickets, and I would try to go in, you know, the lower levels, and the the little guys with the funny suits would stop me and say, "Let me see your ticket," and I would show them there my ticket. They go, "Oh." You can't come here. Right? You don't have access. Your seats are way up there. right? See up in the clouds. You're up past the clouds. right? And I would go up to that section where I had access. right? And for me, I might as well have been watching ants play soccer. right? Because the guy's on the field. right? And I couldn't really see what was going on. But people would cheer a lot, and I would get excited. Well, that's, that's the picture here, right? Uh, your sacrifice gives you a certain degree of access. Um, but what this is all about is that um, to really make atonement, right? to really deal with sin, the blood had to be brought into the very presence of God. Right? So for all these people coming to the altar day by day, making their offerings, um, uh, sacrificing an animal as their substitute, it was good and it had meaning and it, it showed that they understood their sinfulness and their need for atoning blood. But it was not actually effective because it stopped short of going where it needed to go to really make atonement. And so there was this need for this day of atonement, this day when the blood would be brought into the very presence of God and and they would offer it. Uh, and, and it says, because uh, we don't want to miss this detail, because I think it's really important. It says that, um, he, says, uh, he says, when you come, bring this blood. He says, I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Uh, but in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And he shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear a linen turban. Now, uh, 
up until I started studying for this passage this last week, I, I kind of missed this detail. Because I assumed that what this was talking about is that he needed to dress himself in his priestly garments. And if you remember, the priest, the high priest especially, had some very elaborate garments and turbans and sashes and and things they put on their forehead and the, the ephod and all this stuff. But actually, that's not what it's talking about here. He's talking about very plain, simple linen clothes. Right? In fact, what he was to do is go into the uh, temple and take off his um, priestly garments and put on these very simple uh, clothes of actually a servant or a slave. They were super plain, right? Just a linen uh, robe, linen undergarments, a linen turban, and a linen sash. Super plain. No frill, no, no, no glitz, no gl- glamour of the high priestly robe. And it was a great picture that as he went into the holy, most holy place, he was representing the people. He was going on their behalf as their priest, and he was representing the whole nation of Israel before God. And in that role, he was not to come in the high priestly garments. Right? He was to come dressed like a servant or a slave, right? to come in humility. Now, when he went out to the people, he was representing God to the people. And in that role, he was to be dressed very elaborately, showing the dignity and, and worth and kind of honor this position of somebody representing God to the people. But when he represented the people, when he went to make atonement on behalf of all the people, he was to put aside those those, those fancy clothes and go in, in the, the clothes of a servant. Amazing picture of Jesus, who is our great high priest, who came and uh, did exactly that. In fact, one of the most profound images of this in the Gospels is in, in John chapter 13. Uh, if you know John chapter 13, it's where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, right? And uh, it's a picture. What Jesus does there is, uh, of course, he's, he's modeling his servant's heart. But more than that, he's illustrating to them what it meant for him to die on the cross for them. That he would serve them ultimately by laying down his life for their sin and by shedding his own blood for them. And that that they would be washed, not with water, but by his own blood. And remember what he does before he washes their feet? It says in verse 3 of John 13, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, was going back to God, uh, Jesus knew he was very near to the cross. So then he rose from supper and laid aside his outer garments, and taking the towel of a servant... He tied it around his waist and he washed their feet. Uh, Jesus came uh, and and, um, Philippians tells us that he emptied himself. He laid aside his glory and he represents us to the Father not as the reigning Son of God but as a slave who represented us um, in in the humble clothes of a slave and a servant. It's a great picture and one other picture, as, as Aaron would do this, it says he, would, he was to take um, uh, a censer and, and um, incense. So this is sounding a lot like this whole Nadab and Abihu thing. It's like, well, this didn't go so well the first time. But this time he comes with a different purpose, right? God commanded it. And he was to take this, uh, this uh, censer and put incense on it. Uh, but he was approaching the, uh, the holy place with blood. But the censer was important because it would create this this cloud of smoke that even inside the holy place would veil, would cover 
the, the atonement seat. Right? So even there, even as he drew close to God, even then, he could only get so close. And he even then he needed a veil to shield him from the glory and presence of God. Uh, but the purpose uh, of, of coming in was, was chiefly to bring into that holy place the blood. Right? To bring in the blood. And to make the point, uh, in, in verse 14, uh, the author describes this ritual uh, in a very poetic uh, parallel form. He says, And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle with his finger in front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Uh, kind of a mirrored parallel there to highlight the importance and significance of what happened. It was all about the blood, right? Only the blood could open the door, open the pathway into God's presence. Uh, the blood was important because it represented a substitute that had died in their place and had received the punishment or wrath for their sin. Um, and bringing some of the blood, they didn't bring it all. They didn't have to bring in the whole bull. They didn't ask him to drag in the bull to prove it was dead, right? Just had to show the blood, right? But the blood represented that animal's life that was poured out and given as a substitute in their place. And all throughout Leviticus, there's this high emphasis on the importance of a substitute. That the sacrificed animal died in the place of the guilty. There's a substitute. Um, and and uh, we don't understand Jesus' death if we do not see it as a substitute, that he died in our place. We sang about it this morning, right? Uh, I forget the exact line. He took our place, I think was the line. I was going to remember it, but I'm getting old and I can't. He took our place. That was the line, right? He took our place. He bore our cross. He was our substitute. And the blood represents this life given in place of the guilty. And that does a multiple multiplicity of things that we talked about in, in the sacrifice. It won't go through them all. But ultimately, it turns away God's wrath. It cleanses us and it, it removes sin. And of course, Jesus, being the ultimate sacrifice, did that for us. And all these things, in the, in the, all the things about the Day of Atonement, as I said, are just pictures. Right? And the author of Hebrews understood these pictures. And so he describes what Jesus did to fulfill the Day of Atonement. In Hebrews 9.11, he says this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. Right? It's important that Jesus' role was as the great high priest who would bring the blood into the very presence of God. Christ appeared as, a, as high priest of good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, right? not one made with hands, that is not of this creation, not the earthly tent, but he answered once for all into the holy places in heaven, not by means of the blood of uh, goats and calves, but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. For the blood of bulls and goats, goats and bulls, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will he purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Right? Uh, so this picture is Jesus' sacrifice. And it's significant that Jesus died and that at some level, uh, although 
certainly in spiritual terms, he took his blood and presented it before the Father in heaven in the holy place. Um, And it was by his blood sin is dealt with. Um, So so that's the means of atonement, right? It's the means of atonement for them. It it wasn't final for them. There There were problems with their system. Namely, Aaron himself had to be atoned for. So the priest himself was sinful, so that was a problem. Secondly, uh, the tent, the writer of Hebrew tells us, was on earth, not in heaven. So it wasn't ultimately really in God's presence. God appeared there, but it was not not really where he, he dwelled. It wasn't his final holy place in heaven. And of course, thirdly, the problem with uh, animal blood is that animal blood could never atone for sin. Only Jesus could do that. But Jesus did. And so, uh, it, but it pictures powerfully for us... Uh, how our sin is atoned. But in, in the Day of Atonement, there are also built in, built in a couple of pictures that show us the results or the effects. Right? What, what, what was the result of this day of entering uh, into this holy place with the blood? Um, only in the, in the Day of Atonement is this, this uh, ceremony with the two goats. Right? Very unique in all of the Old Testament, and certainly in all of Leviticus. And all the offerings, nowhere were they to bring two goats and cast lots over their head. And the way this would work, they'd bring two goats, and these represented the, the whole people, the whole nation of Israel. And Aaron would cast lots, some kind of rolling dice, we don't know how it worked. Um, and one goat got to be the, the sacrifice. Yay for that goat, right? He gets to die instantly right there, and his blood is taken into the uh, holy place to provide atonement for the people. But interestingly, the other goat, it says, he gets the lucky job of going to Azazel. Now, what in the world is Azazel? Well, uh, some translations actually translate it, uh, the scapegoat. Um, we don't really know, actually, what the Hebrew word Azazel means. Um, there's a couple interesting theories. Um, what we need to know is this. The goat was taken far away to a place or a region that was known as being cut off. It was taken far out into the wilderness. But before they would do this, uh, Aaron would actually take both of his hands and put it on the on the on the head of the goat, and he would confess all the sins of the people. Uh, and both with the with the blood of the goat that that was taken into the tabernacle, as well as the goat that was sent away, uh, it says that the effect of this that was that it would deal with transgressions, iniquities, and sins. Okay, the author comes up with every word possible for sin. And also uh, talks about uncleanness. Right? In other words, all the sins were dealt with. Uh, in the other sacrifices, oftentimes it was good only for unintentional sins. But this was effective for any and every sin in Israel. In fact, one of the words that's used speaks of, of all-out, flat-out rebellion against God and His covenant. Right? It's not just a little sin or kind of a mistaken sin or accidentally sin. This is intentional, full-on, blatant rebellion against God. And so, so Aaron would come and he would, he would confess with his hands on the goat. And it was a picture. He said, and symbolically, you were putting all the sins of Israel on the head of that goat. And then they would take the goat and they would lead it far out into the wilderness, way far away. In fact, in later times, just to make sure that the goat didn't come back, they would actually push it off a cliff, <laughs> kill it, uh, just to make sure it didn't wander back into camp and bring the sins back. 
right? But the idea was that it went to a region that was cut off, a region that it was impossible for it to return. This amazing picture of, of what atonement achieves for us, right? It sends our sins far away. It removes them. It takes them as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says, and removes our sins uh, from our midst, from the presence of God, right? From ever being a problem in our life. Um, and, and thus we are forgiven. Um, so that's the first, the first result, right? Uh, and while the people didn't see a lot of what happened inside the Holy of Holies, this was very visual for them. But as they watched, as, the, as Aaron confessed these sins and prayed for the sins, iniquities, and transgressions of the people, and he would symbolically lay it on their head, and they would watch the, the goat be led away, and they would be going, wow, there goes my sin. Right? My sin is being sent away. Um, now, the means of that was the blood. Right? The way that was possible was because the blood was offered before God and it made atonement in the holy place. But for the people, it was a picture, a visual representation of the effects of what happened when that blood was applied at the place of atonement. Right? So they could see the results. Their sins are gone. Right? For them, for a year. <laughs> okay, Then I'll do it again next year because it was only a picture. It wasn't the real thing. But for Jesus, of course, our sins are removed permanently. Right? His sacrifice once and for all dealt with sin and removed it from us. Um, second effect or consequence is that uh, when everything was cleansed, the, the, and it starts with the, the temple, the mercy seat, the temple, the altar, the priests, and then the people, what it paints is this picture of now access being opened up for everybody, of course, in their day, uh, there was limits to that access. Right? They could come worship at the altar without the holiness of God consuming them. But they could only go as far as they were allowed. The priest could go inside the outer lobby of the temple. He couldn't go farther. Right? They were good for a year. But of course, the death of Jesus was so much more effective and that it opens up for us access into the very presence of God because His blood was offered not in an earthly temple, but in the heavenly temple. Right? So the second effect of this atonement for us, not for them, but for us, is that we have direct access into God's very presence. Right? Sin no longer is a barrier between us and God. In fact, there is now no barrier between us and God. We have what Adam and Eve had in the garden before they fell. Direct, unlimited, unhindered access to the very presence of God. Personally, I wish I really believed that. <laughs> I wish I really knew what that meant. It's a reality that's true, but I think we, we come so far short of understanding what it's about. Right? That life for us is life fully in God's presence. He lives with us all the time. And we live with Him. Direct access. Right? Um, the writer of Hebrews puts it this way, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, 
Right? So Jesus, when he died on the cross, in his own death, in his own flesh, he opened, he tore the curtain. He removed the, the barrier. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Okay? Uh, always we have access to God. Always. Okay? He always hears us. He always invites us to come close. Right? He always longs for our fellowship and communion. Um, we have that kind of access. Let me close with two quick thoughts about um, kind of our part in all this. Uh, he, God tells uh, Moses that the people are to afflict themselves. Sounds rather serious. <laughs> and I picture things like wearing like wool robes and you know beating yourself with a whip. Um, not sure exactly what he had in mind by afflict yourselves, but the idea was that on the Day of Atonement, it was to be a sober day. Uh, other translations uh, translated as fasting, and certainly that was part of it. And the, it was the only fast day prescribed in, in Leviticus, and so they would uh, go without food. Um, uh, probably on top of that is the idea of, of just genuine contrition. Right? It was to be a serious day as they as they contemplated their sin and the cost of sin. Um, and I think a, a huge part of that is confession. Uh, so do we as Christians, are we supposed to do this? Well, yes and no, right? There's a bad way to do this. And the whole kind of um, old school model of living, you know, living in wool underwear and beating yourself and, and, and you know, climbing mountains using only your tongue or some kind of horrendous thing, right? To torture yourself. Okay, that's not what it's talking about here, Right? We don't afflict ourselves in order to add punishment or to add, you know, weight to what Jesus did to pay for our sin. And that, that's not what's been. In fact, that's not the picture here. The picture was that the blood went into the into the holy place and God forgave. His, his wrath was turned away. We are saved by the blood of Jesus alone, and there's nothing we can do to add to His sacrifice. Right? We don't need to suffer more to add to what Jesus suffered. He suffered everything. Right? So this is not about going around beating ourselves up when we sin. But it is about uh, understanding the, the process of confession. And I think the picture of the scapegoat is an incredible image of what confession is. Confession is being honest about our, our failures and our sins. Ones that we know about and even ones we don't know about. And part of the Day of Atonement was confessing even sins they were not aware of. Right? There's something about coming to God with an awareness that we do sin. And sometimes we offend Him and we do things that are um, against His will we're not even aware of. And of course, sometimes we do it knowing fully aware of what we're doing. And, and honestly, we rebel against God. And we do things blatantly... Um, apart from faith and apart from trusting His love and goodness. Right? So we come and we confess, we acknowledge those, those things, specific that we know of and, and general things that we, we just know. We have these attitudes and these things in us that are fleshly, worldly. Uh, and there's something about coming with the spirit of contrition in that, that it's not casual or flippant. It's like, oh, I just, you know, I just messed up again. Well, sad day. 
Now, there's some contrition, right? Uh, God loves a broken and contrite heart. It means that we feel the weight of sin and that it, it does separate us from God. And more importantly, that the, the ransom price is, is severe, right? It costs, the, the price is death. And it, and it was Jesus who died as our substitute, right? But, but the picture is this, that we confess. And the confession is, is ultimately laying it on the scapegoat, right? We don't carry it around, but we confess it in order to get rid of it, right? We confess it in order to lay it on the scapegoat so that, why? So that he takes it away, right? And so true confession is not something that we do where we just feel shame and guilt and burden all the time. Instead, it's coming to God and laying it on, on Jesus, right? Laying it at the cross, and leaving it there and knowing that through Jesus it's been taken far away. It's been removed from our life completely. So that once we've confessed, we say goodbye right, to our sin. And it's gone from our life. Um, the New Testament does not talk about Jesus as a scapegoat, but Isaiah 53 does. Right? Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says, Surely he has borne or carried our griefs, he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Right? Ultimately, he was the one that was afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Right? It's that word carried. He carried our uh, our shame, our, our sorrow, the consequences of our sin, he carried it away. And later in Psalm 50, or in, later in Isaiah 53, it says this, By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? It does that image again of, the, of, of being sent away and being cut off. Right? He took our sins to a place where they were cut off so they could never come back. Right? So, so uh, God's gift, the blood is a gift through Jesus. Right? There's nothing we can do to add to the work of the blood. But we, ha- we do have to receive it. We have to appropriate it. We have to claim its power. And, th- and in the Day of Atonement, we get this great image that we do that by confession. Right? By laying those sins upon Jesus and acknowledging that His blood is sufficient. Right? He was our great high priest. His sacrifice was enough. He took it into the very presence of God in the holy heavens. And that He took our sin, the other extreme, far, far away to a place that was cut off and removed so that sin affects us no more. Right? And that's why we have full and complete access into God's presence. Right? Uh, is confession a part of your your spiritual life? And it should be. Right? Uh, for them, they had to do it once a year. I would say that would be a mere minimum. Right? Uh, but at least once a year. Maybe Good Friday is a good day to do that, right? As we contemplate Jesus' death. Uh, maybe when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, also a great time to practice confession, to, to acknowledge the laying on Jesus of our sin. And of course, any time we just know we really messed up, right? When we feel the guilt and shame and burden of our own sin. 
and we, we need to let go of it, right? Confession. Lay it on that scapegoat, which is Jesus, right? And he will take it away. Let's pray.